It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Well, we're wrapping up the biggest day in terms of page views in the history of D3Football.com. Yeah, and we have a bracket to talk about. Welcome to the 2014 playoffs. So it's time to close our selection Sunday with an Around the Nation podcast, or for you to open your uh, your Monday with it. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about, though, so let's get right to it. It was a crazy week 11 um, in which, let's see... Uh, I think I don't know if snow wreaked some havoc. Snow certainly uh, had uh, made some games a lot more interesting, a lot more fun. Uh, those of us who had to put together West Region and South Region mock regional rankings, and I assume those who put together the actual regional rankings, had a lot of stuff to uh, to talk about and to try to sort through. Whereas the day in the East and the North didn't have a whole lot of changes in terms of uh, pulling teams in and dropping teams out of the regional rankings. But uh, Keith, we ended up with uh, a bracket that might be a little bit of a throwback, maybe not a positive throwback, but uh, a, uh, a bracket in which uh, some teams stay close to home. And of course, as always, well, not always, because last year we did get all 32 teams right. But uh, as uh, happens in most years, you get down to the end of that discussion of who the at-large teams are, and you could read the uh, evidence in any of multiple ways, and the committee took two different teams than uh, than we took. Yeah, and, and I think there were a couple of results on Saturday that that uh, really caused a little bit of a, um, a, a trickle-down effect or you know upset the apple cart, however, however you want to say it. I think the, the, the Bethel loss to Augsburg – Really changed the the ranking in the West region. Um, Oshkosh beating Platteville. Uh, we figured Platteville was probably in with a win in that in that game. Those two results opened the door for uh, for a couple other teams. And then you know when you guys were doing that that show on uh, on Saturday night, where you're going through um, you know the final teams on the on the bubble, they were. At, completely different final teams than we talked about midweek because of some of these things that happened on Saturday. And so I, I think they, it probably gave a lot of teams some hope. And, and there's, I guess, a certain point where every team that's eight and two is kind of, well, maybe we got a chance. And, and, and of course, there are a bunch of nine and one teams out there. And this year there was a, a 10 and 0 team that didn't have an automatic bid. So there was a lot of intrigue uh, from Saturday night going into Sunday and, and it made it uh, pretty exciting. And to be quite honest, the, the bracket that that came out of it could have been a, a whole lot worse than than what we got. I actually think we got a, a pretty decent bracket. It was uh, I, I was just thankful you there was a lot of midweek drama about about center, whether center would even get in the field or not. And the way that the uh, South Region Committee had seated its teams was just in a uh, I have a different word in my head, a bizarre way in which center might not even have gotten to the table. And uh, we went through a, a mock projection on uh, Wednesday of last week where center and unbeaten team didn't even get in because of the way the uh, teams had uh, had been arranged by the South Region Committee. Now, thankfully, cooler heads prevailed. That was a lot of unnecessary drama. There was no reason to to keep center out of the field except that the committee had uh, maybe not even realized what it had done. There are a lot of new uh, faces on the committee this year. Maybe they didn't even realize what was going on. Yeah, you know the the flip side to that drama too was that not only was there a ten and O team on the board that maybe wasn't going to get in, but there was a six and four team that had a legitimate uh, shot a, as an at large because you take away the the three non division results and then there's six and one. We're, we're talking about Wisconsin Oshkosh here, 
and uh, and so now you know we, you have really uh, unprecedented drama in 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 Pool B and Pool C. Now we've had years where there's been you know ten or eleven Pool C teams going into the final week, and there was that year um, you know five or six years back where there were nine really strong Pool C teams for only six spots, and and Rowan and PLU and Redlands all got left out, and they were nine and one, eight and one. They all had legitimate gripes. You just couldn't take everyone. There was a year. You know, way, way back where I think Franklin and, and Cortland State were nine and one and they got left out. So this happens on a, on a yearly basis where really good teams get left out. And, and, you know, if you want to add a cliche to the coffee drinking game here, <laughs> um, you, you got to win your conference to get in. There's, that's the only guarantee, right? The, the only, I, I should have came up with a, with a, with a more cliche or cliche, but. Uh, a more a more snippy cliche, but there's only one one guaranteed way to get into the postseason. That that's the automatic qualifier, the AQs. After that, if if you've played your way onto the bubble in D three, it, it can be a very dicey proposition. You never want to leave your fate in the hands of a committee, whether you're talking about playing football or really anything else in life. It's just never a it's just never a good uh, a, a good position to be in. Right, we're talking about uh, Wisconsin Oshkosh. Um, you know, uh, so Dewey Nats, who is the, uh, national committee chair, he's also the athletic director at Wisconsin Stout, uh, last year, you know, when they were talked about how teams were selected, there was a heavy emphasis on strength of schedule. Um, and you know, the West region committee who he co-chairs, uh, had Wisconsin Oshkosh right there in the mix for most of, uh, you know, most of the last couple of weeks. And the interesting thing was, of course, uh, you know, we talk about, uh, Oshkosh having three. Uh, game. All of three of their non-conference games were not even against Division Three opponents, and we may have mentioned that probably six or seven times in the, over the course of the uh, eleven weeks of this podcast. So I apologize for those of you who have heard it before, but for those who are listening new and wanting to find out something about the playoff selection process, you know that's a that's a key factor because it doesn't help them. Certainly, uh, it I would think it hurts them. You know, not winning any of those games. I don't expect them to beat South Dakota State, but I probably expect them to beat either Marion. Uh, of Indiana or Robert Morris, Chicago. I mean, those teams aren't unbeaten and they're, I don't think they're unbeatable, um, but they just didn't win either of those games. And they had to win one, maybe two of those games to really be in the conversation. But because they had just the one division three loss and it was to the top team in the land, there was a, a lot of discussion that they deserved to get in. Uh, and one of the things, you know, uh, that, um, we've talked about probably to the point of it getting almost into the cliche uh, realm of things is it's not who you lost to, it's who you beat. But I noticed that you and I both picked up on something our uh, bracketology guru colleague, Greg Thomas, uh, pointed out in uh, one of the chats over the course of the week is, you know, um, you know that, that Oshkosh is a team, you know, you proved you can lose, but uh, who have you beaten? And I, I, I've, I've paraphrased that, I think, but I, I think uh, you picked up on that as well. Yeah, and, and that's really when we start breaking down the, the gripes um, that the teams who got left out have. You know, the main argument is, hey, we were nine and one. Hey, we were eight and two, and we played a pretty good schedule, and and that's great. But you you look, there's you know ten or twelve teams that can say that, right? And there's only six spots. So it, in some cases, it really does come down to who you beat. Who who did you beat? And there's I don't think there's anybody who got left out that also had one or two losses that can say, hey, we have this really, really great um, you know, win over a team that's regionally ranked. And you know, we also 
were were nine and one. Now North Central had some nice wins and and had some in, inexplicable losses. Bethel had some nice wins, uh, but but lost on Saturday and, and probably played their way out of the tournament. But but you know, Framingham State for as as much as I would endorse what they've done, which is coming from a pretty weak conference, going out and scheduling Rowan, one of the stronger teams uh, in the Northeast, and playing that game tough every year. Um, you know, that's what you want to encourage those teams to do. You want them to schedule up. Framingham State does that. Um, and then they don't get rewarded for it. And it's frustrating. But at the same time, you look at their resume and you place it next to other resumes for teams that are on the table at the same time. And you say, well, who did Framingham State beat? You know, if they beat Rowan, they're in the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And if, you know, or if Rowan had performed better and not been seven and three at the end of the year, that would have been probably useful too. I mean, that's one of the other arguments I, I go to sometimes is like, well, you know, you didn't beat Rowan, but, but three teams did. So, you know, clearly they're not Whitewater, they're not Mount Union, they're not Mary Harden Baylor, they're not a team that's never, ever going to go, going to lose to anybody. So those yeah. are just, you know, those are just some of the things that uh, we get to talk to on Twitter uh, to fans on Selection Sunday about. Yeah, and I do think we just have to get out of this mindset of, well, we only lost to this this one team. And I've been guilty of it over the years, Pat. I'm sure you have. We've talked, uh, well, well, you know, even recently, well, Texas Lutheran's only loss is to Mary Harden-Baylor. And every other team in the country except for three or four or five would probably lose to Mary Harden-Baylor if that was their one non-conference game. Well, that's that's fine. But you have to also beat some teams. And we and, and we're... we're you're not giving the the committee a whole lot of reason to put you in if if you have um, you know, eight or nine wins, but you but those eight or nine wins are uh, not against any other teams um, th- that have very many wins a season. And sometimes, like in Center's case, that's a little bit out of your control. Uh, you know, they who who knew Washington Lee would have a terrible year this year, but uh, and you can only play the teams on your schedule. But uh, but as much as you make that argument. Hey, we can only play the teams on a schedule. Well, the committee can only judge the information that exists. And a lot of times, if you're saying, "Well, we're, we have nine wins, but but we haven't beat anybody great," and this other team has nine wins and they have beat some good teams, well, then the committee generally uh, has to look toward the, the team either with the strong strength of schedule, with the win over regionally ranked opponent, because a, a lot of times. The, of the five major criteria, your win percentage is pretty equal. There are no common opponents. There are no head to head. And it really comes down to those two, the, the regionally ranked opponents and the strength of schedule. If you have the type of schedule where you have to say, we can only play the teams that are on our schedule, then you have to beat all of those teams. And that's the, that's the way you get in the field. Yeah. I, and, and center got in. I mean, this bracket is just fine. You know, we talked a lot uh, in the last couple of weeks, especially about how the Division Three funding is cut back this year for championships. And I still kind of feel it's like an unimaginative bracket. Now, a couple of years ago, the committee wasted money busing Benedictine to Mount Union and Albion to Whitewater, sending those teams like a total of 720 miles by bus instead of having them swap opponents where they would travel about half that distance. So I don't miss that the committee, uh, you know, overspends that kind of money. But I guess I just don't love how they did the rest of the bracket either. Either it's it's just kind of blah. So welcome to 2007. I, I looked back at the 2007 bracket and it looks fairly similar to this. Just as we got people out of the habit of saying East Bracket, well, we mostly got an East Bracket, and we definitely got a North Bracket. Yep. But if I had to pick something the committee nailed, and, and I guess that's what we're doing at this part of the podcast, right? I would say giving Wesley a top seed is something they nailed. Uh, Wesley is practically an East team anyway, 
uh, and maybe that should be part of the drinking game. Um, and we've been pondering this a while that Wesley could be the focus of an Eastern type grouping of teams at a bracket and Mount Union could be kept over in the North. And this year we, uh, we got that. So, uh, I like that kudos to the committee for that one. Yeah. And, and I think the committee pretty much nailed this bracket, um, you know, with, with the exception of, of, of a few things. And we'll get to those. I want to run off the, the names of the committee members really quickly, too, because uh, people like to complain. And, and it's generally people whose teams got left out. And we understand that. But uh, we all complain about the, the committee as though there are some faceless people. And, and they actually are all uh, either Division three football coaches or, or members of um, of athletic department. So really quickly, it's uh, from the East. It's John Marska from, he's a football coach, Albright, Jack McKiernan, the AD at Kane. In the North, it's Chris Martin, the commissioner of the CCIW, and Eric Rayburn, the Wabash coach. Uh, in the South, it's uh, Jack Liepheimer. He's the AD at Teal. Uh, Lauren Dawson, the football coach at Austin. West Region, Rodney Sandberg, the coach of Whitworth. Dewey Nats, obviously you know, he did a lot of speaking on Sunday and uh, on Saturday. He's the chair and the AD, former head football coach at UW-Stout. So um, the committee, when, when we say these guys and we say the committee nailed the bracket, uh, that's who those guys are. Pat, you know, we went from criticizing these brackets on a yearly basis in the early years to now more or less praising them. You know, I, I didn't think on Saturday night, St. Thomas had a shot at getting in, and I'm, I'm, all, I'm not that impressed with Muhlenberg getting in. But when you step back from that and you look at the whole thing, you've got the four best teams, each in their own quadrant. And frankly, anything that isn't a, a Whitewater, Mary Harden, Baylor, Wesley, Mount Union, Final Four will require an upset somewhere along the way. You've got some first-round games with regional ties that visiting fans are going to be able to attend and create a playoff atmosphere. And I thought a committee did a nice job working around the constraints provided by Husson and, and the West Coast and Texas teams and, you know, the, the travel constraints. Um, they did a nice job dealing with the teams with the question marks, right? You, they avoid controversy by putting 10-0 and 0 center in, but now it's time for the colonels to back up all that blather on, on Twitter by going to John Carroll and winning. Uh, everybody that's hosting is either 10-0, and 9-1, and or 8-1, and and all the multiple loss AQ teams got tough matchups. And, and, you know, if we're being honest, really, about the entire field, does anybody think St. Thomas wouldn't smash Framingham State? I mean, for years we complained that the playoffs were getting too diluted, then the committee goes and puts the stronger teams in, and we still have complaints. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I could see that. Um, if I had to pick something specific that I thought the committee missed the mark on, something they blew, I had to think about the first-round matchups for Widener and Delaware Valley. Uh, I can't quite figure out why Muhlenberg is sent to the higher-seeded Widener. Muhlenberg's 9-1, and one, and 7-3 and three, Christopher Newport is sent to the lower-seeded Delaware Valley. Uh, this requires some new criteria to be written in order for me to make sense of that. I mean, what's Widener's reward for beating Delaware Valley and winning the conference exactly? We're going to send the higher-seeded team to you guys. It's kind of like the, forget the committee forgot how it seeded the teams. Well, I really would have liked to see Framingham State in the tournament. The Rams have made the effort to go out and schedule better teams. Uh, they played close, close playoff games at Cortland and Ithaca the past two years. And, uh, you know, but even then, and this is true of everyone who got left out, they didn't beat anybody great and they were just another one loss team. You know, as I said before, the Rams beat Rowan and they're in this tournament. Uh, my other gripe, I think, is the number of rematches. I know there are travel constraints. Uh, and, and rematches will often happen eventually in the tournament anyway. They're, they're inevitable. Uh, 
Linfield and Chapman, Texas Lutheran, Mary Harden, Baylor, because of the limit on flights, we understand. But Delaware Valley at Widener again in the second round, I think shows a lack of creativity. The Tommies and Johnnies could meet again in round two. Mount, Mount Union and John Carroll could have to play again in round three. Um, you know, they managed to split up Wabash and Wittenberg, so I guess there's that. Yeah, they got one. Um, when I was doing my bracket, I tried to uh, split up as many of those teams as possible as well. And, it, um, you know, you got you have to make a, a concerted effort to do it. You have to take a risk that maybe you're going to drive somebody 495 miles instead of 120. But, uh, oh, well, that's not the way this bracket was done. Uh, thinking about teams who played themselves in uh, this week. I look at Husson. Um, you know, Keith, you've mentioned how Gabby Price has turned this program back around, and uh, they were playing a head-to-head game for the conference title on the road. Husson got four takeaways in uh, defeating Mount Ida 41-21. So I'm pretty sure this is going to be the first Division Three football playoff game played in the state of Maine as well. Uh, and, and here's just, you know, how... Uh, so, so Gabby Price was the coach at Husson before, then uh, he stepped down. I'm not even entirely sure this was all... Uh, is a voluntary uh, uh, deal there either, but Husson is thirty-seven and thirty-five all time when Price is the head coach, and eight and thirty-one when somebody else is in charge. So kudos to Husson, kudos to Gabby Price. Benedictine is my team that played itself in in week eleven. Uh, back on October eleventh, the Eagles were one and four. They won five straight, beating NAC leader Lakeland sixteen zero on Saturday, holding them to fifty four yards of total offense. Then on top of that, Benedictine got the result it needed when Wisconsin Wisconsin Lutheran beat Concordia Wisconsin twenty one fourteen. And in the three way tie between Lakeland Wisconsin Lutheran and Benedictine, it came down to point differential. And guess how many points the Eagles needed. To, to win that tiebreaker, 16, the exact plus 16 they scored on Saturday. Their reward is a uh, first-round game at Wheaton, which is about 10 miles from the Benedictine campus. Yeah, we, we talk about uh, uh, Wheaton and North Central being eight miles away from each other. Uh, you know, Benedictine is literally just down the road from North Central. Um, talk about teams who played themselves out during Week 11. Um, I'm going to kind of steal something, uh, a concept I wrote about in uh, Triple Take, and I'm going to yep. uh, highlight Hampton-Sydney here. Obviously, Hampton-Sydney's not out of the field, but I think they played themselves out of being in a position to win a first-round game. Uh, they could have been on the road in a 3-6 game. That's a winnable game, and instead they're the road team in a 1-8 game. That's a quick ticket home for the Tigers. And Keith, why did Hampton-Sydney, who did Hampton-Sydney lose to on Saturday? They lost for the third time in four years to the Yellow Jackets of Randolph-Macon. Just throwing you the bone there. There you go. Yeah, I, I, I tried not to run with it too much. I don't want to say the mighty Yellow Jackets because they did only finish five and five this year with an inexplicable loss to WNL. But hey, man, uh, five and five, but beating your arch rival on the last Saturday of the season to ruin know, their playoff uh, seating—that's a pretty it, good story. I'm telling you, for uh, for for Macon. And for Cortland State, you know, they're not going to the playoffs, but they go into the – it makes those off-seasons much easier for the coaches and for all the alumni around uh, when, when you win, win that game against the arch rival. Uh, for me, who, who played themselves out in Week 11, it's got to be Bethel. Uh, Dewey Nats didn't reveal too much in the annu- annual interview with our friends at Inside the Huddle. And he, he did talk for about 30 minutes, and uh, he did say that the West Region rankings favored Bethel going into Saturday and that the 62-61 loss to Augsburg, I believe the quote was played on a skating rink, um, it cost the Royals a playoff spot. 
Bethel had as many as five games against regionally ranked opponents, depending on what the final regional rankings were. They beat St. Thomas, Chicago, and Concordia-Moorhead, and the losses to Wartburg in Week 1 and St. John's in Week 10 weren't what did them in. It was not finishing off Augsburg in, uh, in Week 11. It, it, that field, uh, first of all, it's been really cold uh, here in the Twin Cities uh, in the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area, and we had some snow earlier this week. Bethel's got a grass field. Uh, there are not many grass fields left in this part of the country or in Division Three in general, um, and that field gets pretty tough uh, it, when, it, when it gets cold like that. Uh, the North Central game in the uh, quarterfinals last year was like that too, and I, my understanding is that Bethel was offered uh, one of the other area fields uh, by another Division Three school to play on on Saturday, and they ended up not choosing to do so. And, um, you know, I, I can't help but think uh, you're not going to give up 62 points to Augsburg on a uh, on a on a field that's a little more secure. But you know what do I know? Uh, it's not uh, yeah, not mine to say. Although I just mostly said it, didn't I? Yeah, it was kind of yours to say right there, wasn't it? I suppose. Yeah, this is that's why I have the microphone on. I suppose. Um, there's some intriguing things in this bracket that maybe people might have missed. Um, there's a lot of talk, for example, about how Warburg doesn't get a, a, a really appropriate or awesome first-round draw, but there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, first of all, the NCAA has to swap around some first-round matchups to keep St. Thomas and St. John's from playing each other in the first round. Really, uh, St. Thomas is like the sixth seed in this bracket, and St. John's is the three, but they can't play each other because it's a regular season conference rematch, and as long as the map works out, uh, then the, we try to avoid those things in the Division Three football playoffs. So if you're Wartburg and you're looking at St. Thomas, uh, you got to remember these things, I think. Wartburg beat Bethel fairly handily back in Week 2, and Bethel beat St. Thomas. So, you know, St. Thomas comes in with a big name, uh, and they have some cachet from playing in the 2012 Stag Bowl, but they are 8-2 and two for a reason. They're not uh, quite as talented or as uh, polished as that team that went to the Stag Bowl a couple seasons ago. Well, I'm I'm not sure that everyone taking their first glance at the bracket noticed this, but uh, but this is intriguing to me. The fact that so many of these games will be nice regional rivalries where the visitors can pack their side of the stands and give it a true playoff game atmosphere. You got Ithaca at Hobart, Muhlenberg at Widener, Franklin at Wabash, um, Wabash. I made that sound kind of weird. Uh, Benedictine at Wheaton, Texas Lutheran at, at Mary Harden Baylor, St. Scholastic at St. John's. All those are in-state games where the where the the both sides will, will probably be packed. Uh, Rowan at Johns Hopkins is only a short ride down 95. And you know, even some of these teams where you, where you think it sounds like a faraway game, uh, Center from Kentucky at John Carroll, which is in the Cleveland area. Actually, not an undrivable distance. Same thing, Wittenberg is a team from the North Region, Washington, Jefferson. You think that's a Pennsylvania team. It's actually not that, not a terrible drive from, uh, from kind of mid, mid, nor, mid Northeast, Northwest, Pennsylvania, uh, Northwest Ohio to Western Pennsylvania. Um, so most of these games are drivable. Some of them, obviously, more than others. The uh, the, the Wheaton one is uh, very close, but I think that's kind of cool. And um, you know, for all the drawbacks of the playoff travel restrictions, this is a nice byproduct. And if it extends into next week when the students are on Thanksgiving break and playoff crowds are at their weakest, that'd be cool too. Yeah, you know, admittedly, that's a positive side I hadn't considered. So nice job finding the silver lining. Usually, that's my job. So uh, thanks for picking that out. 
I got a couple key personnel changes. I thought people should be interested in, um, you know, we've talked about the St. Thomas quarterback situation on this podcast before, but, uh, John Gould has finally taken over as starter at quarterback for the Tommies while Matt O'Connell who started in the stag bowl is the backup. So that's just something to keep an eye out on. They've performed a little better offensively the last couple of weeks, and we definitely need to keep an eye on whether Jake Kumaro plays at uh, Whiteout for Whitewater. No word as to whether he will, but I think we all know that even if Whitewater said something about his status, we shouldn't actually believe it until we see him on the field. It's a good throwback reference right there. Uh, Hampton Sydney might normally be able to hold its own for a while against Wesley. Uh, they did it last year out at Linfield. You're putting up 21 points uh, early in that game. Uh, but offensive lineman John Moore and star receiver Holton Walker were knocked out early in the loss to Randolph-Macon. And uh, if Walker can't play against Wesley, it could be a rough one. Yeah, that's probably not going to be one of the best first-round games. Uh, I think there are uh, some really good ones in this bracket. Um, you talked about the short distance between uh, W&J and Wittenberg. I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, it's you know two of the really storied uh, Division Three football programs. They're going to be a combined 1,442 career wins uh, for those programs at this game this weekend, as uh, WJ Athletics noted on Twitter. And I responded that uh, we might see that many yards as well. That should be a fun game. I love the 4-5 games. They're usually really well matched. Yeah, and, and there are some not so good matchups in the first round, but those four, five, three, sixes are, re- are really great. Uh, center at John Carroll is most intriguing to me. After the Blue Streak's only loss since losing unexpectedly in the first round last year to St. John Fisher was Saturday's seven-point defeat against Mount Union. Uh, last year, the the Blue Streaks lost the Purple Raiders and, and never recovered. Uh, this year, they've got a lot to prove, obviously trying to get out of the first round of the playoffs, and they have to do it against a 10-0 team that comes in feeling disrespected. Despite the fact that, you know, if it if its conference never broke off from a conference that had an automatic qualifier, they'd have gotten in, you know, clinched a couple weeks ago without any sweat. Uh, Center also played pretty well a few years ago at Mount Union in the playoffs. So, you know, maybe the, the deal of going to Ohio and playing this mighty OAC team won't phase them at all. Uh, you know, all that said, too, I, I think the highest quality football and the most potential for an upset in, in the first round is that St. Thomas Warburg game we talked about. Keith, who do you think has the toughest path to Salem? Well, speaking of Wartburg, I, I think the Knights could be dangerous in this tournament. And I'd love to to tell you that their their offense, which operates quickly and, and can be very dangerous, and their defense, which is pretty good, um, you know, they have potential for to, to to upset and maybe see them further down the road. But this potential road of St. Thomas, maybe St. John's, Whitewater, Mary Harden, Baylor, and then playing either Mount Union or Wesley is about as tough as a climb as there could be to the apex in D3. You know, I think uh, Linfield has a really tough path to Salem, and, and that's not even necessarily because, you know, they would likely have to play Mary Harden, Baylor in the second round if both teams advance, but it's more about the fact that, uh, you know, they have to be practicing with pretty heavy hearts this week after one of their own sophomore linebacker, Parker Moore, was killed in a stabbing in a convenience store off campus late Saturday night. Just an awful shame, and uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to the Linfield community. This is the Round the Nation podcast. I'm Pat Coleman along with Keith McMillan as uh, we're talking about the uh, 2014 playoffs here as uh, week 11 was a, was a doozy and uh, week 12 should be pretty interesting as well. 
Uh, one of the things we usually talk about, and we talked about it in our uh, bracketology show on Saturday night, is who's the road team most deserving of a home game? And in this case, Keith, I'm really not losing any sleep over any of these road teams not getting a game uh, on their campus. When I think about who might have been closest to getting one, perhaps W&J comes to mind, but the president's lost to Waynesburg on Saturday, and so they lost their home game on Sunday. Yeah, W&J definitely played their way onto the road. Uh, MIT should be home against Husson, but to be honest, you know, had a team not so geographically distant when the ECFC, the matchups might have been mixed up and MIT likely would have been on the road anyway. Between what we can infer and, and what I've heard, I can only assume that MIT wasn't uh, able to host this playoff game, uh, either facilities-wise, and that's probably why they're on the road. I think that kind of makes Husson the least deserving home team. Yeah, uh, I'd say let's jump easily to the next question, but I think there there is it's kind of interesting that Delaware Valley, John Carroll, and Wabash all had to uh, sweat out Selection Sunday waiting on an at-large bid. Those teams would have just been happy to get in and, uh, and they find out uh, they each got a home game as well. But, but you know, the part of the reason they each had a home game is that they each had some significant wins to go along with just being one-loss teams. Uh, Delval beat Montclair State and uh, and Lycoming, which each of those teams uh, finished with eight wins. Uh, Wabash beat Hampton Sydney back in the opener. And, uh, and John Carroll beat Heidelberg, which uh, also won eight games. The uh, there was a, there's always a lot of talk when we're talking about uh, bracketing teams up. You know how can an at-large team get a home game? This is exactly how at-large teams get home games. Uh, nine and one at-large teams who beat decent uh, teams either in their conference or out of conference. They get home games just because you've won your automatic bid in a conference. It doesn't also automatically entitle you to a home game. It just gives you a pass to the field. So. You know, and we saw it three times this year. So next year, when those questions come, we're going to point you right back to the 2014 bracket. <laughs> so something I would have liked to see, I'd like to see Benedictine play Whitewater and McAllister play Wheaton. You know, as far down the pecking order in Division Three as McAllister is, they actually get jobbed here by having to play at Whitewater. They deserve better as a 9-1 and team. It's literally only 88 miles further for Mac to go to Wheaton and play a two-seed rather than play the top seed in the entire bracket. I have to wonder is if the NCAA is actually making Benedictine stay on campus the night before the game to try to save even more money. That'd be funny. Uh, I'd like to, I would have liked to see Mary Harden Baylor get some consideration for one of the top two seeds after Whitewater nearly lost to River Falls in Week 11. Uh, doing that said, both sides are are separated, and basically that travel has to be taken into account, and so that's pretty much why uh, Wesley and Mount Union get matched up on their side of the bracket in that Whitewater and uh, and Mary Harden Baylor on the other side, which was one of the semifinal matchups last year. Deep down, I guess I don't have a problem with any of those four teams hosting or going on the road so long as they're properly separated into the four quadrants, and they were. Uh, the, and the entire East, which is kind of – this is kind of different. The entire East doesn't have to go through Mount Union. And in the end, the bracket got the right – the correct four one seeds and Mount Union and Whitewater are on the opposite sides, meaning that preventing a rematch will have to be organic. It should never be the committee's job to prevent one of those teams from getting to Salem. And it, that job belongs to one of the other 30 teams in the field. Yeah, I, I agree. I just would have liked to have seen Mary Harden Baylor and Whitewater on opposite sides of the bracket as well. 
Uh, it's like the committee didn't learn from having great semifinals in a dud stag bowl last year that sometimes the national pollsters might actually know what they're doing. All you have to do to fix this is swap the Wesley bracket and the Mary Hart and Baylor bracket, and we're good, and there's no explanation required to anybody, and I don't think anybody would... Uh, would complain. It would just be. Uh, it would just be understood, and we would ha- not have all these questions. Of, How come the number one and number two teams are matched up in the semifinals? Well, because the NCAA loves really good semifinals. I guess that's all I can. That's all I can guess. And we have had some pretty good ones. Uh, but yeah, the our our poll, which is a great guideline to tell you who's the best, uh, is not part of the playoff criteria. So heading into the flash drive as uh, we run down the uh, rest of this podcast, um, looking through triple take, you know, we spend a a lot of time on triple take uh, during the uh, course of the regular season. And we had uh, some pretty good stuff there. Obviously we picked, um, we picked some good games of the week. That wasn't all that difficult to do. um, Especially since uh, I chose not to pick a a third one. Um, How could you not pick John Carroll Mountain Union? So many things uh, were riding on it and it turned out to be a fairly decent game. So, um, Keith, I thought you did pretty well. You picked uh, W&J to be surprisingly close at Waynesburg. That was surprisingly close. It was, so yeah, negative three points it was. That's how close it was. Waynesburg uh, won that game, and, and uh, I thought we also picked a couple of uh, most likely top 25 teams to lose, uh, and those weren't weren't stretches, but uh, but where you were right on, you picked Platteville, even though uh, uh, you know Oshkosh probably wasn't the favorite going in on that one. I, I thought we had just had a pretty good week overall in uh, in, in triple take. And yeah, uh, triple take kind of uh, morphs as we get into the playoffs. Uh, uh, Keith and Ryan Tips and I are going to pick scores of these games, uh, each of the playoff games. So what that is intended to give you is some idea of whether we think the game is going to be close or not, whether we think it's going to be high scoring or a defensive battle. And if you get a split decision, then you know that game is really a toss-up. If two of us pick one and one of us picks the other, that's your uh, indication that should be a pretty good game. Um, let's see what else happened in week 11 that really uh, merits being talked about. We didn't really talk about how McAllister kind of played its way into the tournament. Uh, they defeated Illinois College and they had to score the last 10 points of the game in order to do so. So the uh, the first conference title for McAllister in any conference in about 60 years or so and in their first trip to the playoffs. Yeah, which is pretty, pretty amazing. You know, it was a couple of weeks ago. I think the the stat of the week was McAllister's first season in 121 years of football. Uh, this is their first time reaching eight wins. They now reach nine, and uh, their reward for all that fine work is uh, is a first round date at Whitewater. Yeah, um, we uh, briefly, only ever so slightly, touched on the uh, Cortica Jug game between Cortland State and Ithaca. How about the way that game ended? Um, if you haven't seen the the play of the week video. Uh, you need to watch it. Even if you saw the version that was on SportsCenter, uh, you need to go watch this one because we have uh, a couple of alternate angles. You can see what really went on in uh, the way that that, uh, that game went down. But, Keith, uh, what a great way to end a rivalry game. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I even thought a little uh, some of the broadcast uh, w- was over the top, but it, but it was such a... It was such a representation of being caught in the moment and the way these rivalry games make uh, these two these two schools feel. Uh, obviously, it was a, just a bizarre play where not only was it just a uh, you know a bad snap, but Cor- Cortland was uh, running their their holder onto the field. It was a terrible snap, so he picks it up, the fire call, and then the guy's wide open in the end zone. And uh, they were just trying to tie the game, and they ended up winning it. And uh, as Coach Dan McNeil said in the post game, uh, that could have been a horror show, and it turned 
turned out to be one of the you know endings for the ages. I, I don't think those are his exact words, ending for the ages, but horror show was his words. And, uh, it, you know, he, he had to play the nice guy and say, Ithaca, they're going to have a great job in the playoffs, but uh, we'll, we'll savor this one all offseason. And that's the way those rivalry games are. It was a bad snap, but the holder wasn't looking. That's uh, that that's how it uh, that's how it ended up not being a kick. So you need to go. People need to go watch the uh, the rest of that video. Um, <clears throat> we talked about uh, Randolph Macon uh, beating Hampton Sydney, but I didn't learn much more about that other than the Hampton Sydney players getting hurt. So what else do you have to tell us about that? Well, uh, you know that, that was probably the most significant thing. Uh, Randolph Macon uh, came out with a with a. Pretty great defensive game plan, but I, th- I think HSC uh, losing a, c- a couple of their players early uh, hurt them a lot. It was a, it was a gosh, make making miss two short field goals early in that game. I think they went in up seven nothing at the half, so it was definitely a winnable game for Hampton Sydney, and they just never could get anything going. And, and I thought that was a, a pretty good testament uh, to the Randolph making defense and and to team to a team, uh, and this you could say the same thing of Cortland State uh, to a team that that didn't have a, a whole lot to play for except to win this rivalry game and, and didn't mail it in. You know, I, I watched a bunch of the DePaul Wabash game cause that was on uh, access TV, which is a channel that who knew that I had on, on my direct TV. Oh yeah, you um, definitely do. I have it. Uh, yeah. Well, it comes in handy at least once a year. Um, it, um, I think just once a year. And in DePaul actually had a pretty good season. You know, Bill Lynch is back, revived the program. They won seven games this year, but Wabash defense just pretty swarmed them and blocked a punt, and uh, and they never had a chance in that game. And when when I was watching that, and then also watching uh, the game and watching Cordica Jug and, and watching the, the the underdogs come back and win those games, uh, or in Macon's case, they never really had to come back. They they controlled it from the start, but it was one of those games that was so tight. Um, because you figured, well, they're not scoring enough points here in Hampton City. He's got this high-powered offense, and they just never got anything going. Uh, long story short, I think it, it's good for those rivalries when when the underdog wins every once in a while. Uh, about uh, the Wesley-Charlotte game. So Charlotte is, uh, or UNC-Charlotte, you may know them as. Uh, they're uh, creating a... Uh, uh, a Division One A program, an FBS program. This is their second year of football. They're still in the FCS, and uh, you know Wesley uh, got down a little bit early, went back and forth and down to the wire. And that's a, a you know even though they lost thirty eight to thirty three, that's a pretty good test, and I think uh, pretty indicative of what they might see later in the playoffs. Yeah, well, I've been saying that that what this may be Wesley's best team. It's certainly, in my mind, their best team since the 2011 team that that lost by seven in the semifinals at Mount Union. Um, last season, they they beat Charlotte, but then Charlotte had they've they've they're playing legitimate. FCS teams. Uh, they 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 lost to Coastal Carolina last week, which is number one in one of the FCS polls, and was number two in the other one the week before. Um, they they had played James Madison, which was number twenty five in the poll. So they're 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 playing legitimate FCS teams, and um, they're in these games. A lot of the a lot of their games were close. They'd lost six in a row before beating Wesley. So you're basically saying Wesley is playing on the level of an FCS team right now, which is uh, which is hard to believe, uh, and and that's how good maybe the best teams in D three are. Uh- what else from uh, from week eleven do we need to talk about? Yeah, I, yeah, I think we hit pretty much everything. I mean, the the big focus going forward, obviously, is is the brackets. You know, there'll be uh, 
for teams in in the, in the Northeast, there'll be the ECAC bowl games, uh, but but mostly we we get so excited about this this postseason, and uh, you know it's a five week run to Salem, and, and it kind of as we've watched it over the years, it kind of breaks up almost into three three tiers where the first round you have some great games and you have some blowouts. Then the second and, and third rounds, you know, you separate the wheat from the, the chaff, but you get some still pretty good games in there in the second round and the quarterfinals. And then the semis and the stag bowl is just, you know, you get to see the best teams in D3. You get to see it um, nationally televised or broadcast online. And, and so you actually get to be home on Saturday and watch the games. And that, that stuff's great or on, on Friday night when, it, when we get to the championship. So uh, I, I think, you know, pointing forward, it, it's just it's hard not to be excited about this kind of this time of year because everybody works uh, so hard to get here. And, and we spend a lot, a lot of times too much time complaining about uh, the, the, the three or four teams that thought they had a shot to getting in and didn't get in and not enough time appreciating the 32 that did. So coming up this week, of course, uh, Play of the Week is already out there, as we mentioned. If you have other great plays, uh, we would still love to see them. Uh, we could add them to the honor roll and put them on the uh, playlist for uh, Monday. Uh, we will have our annual Surprises and Disappointments column in Around the Nation where we break down the tournament field, give you our potential Cinderella teams. Plus, we'll also have team capsules of all 32 playoff teams as well. We'll have one final round of Around the Region columns this week, all uh, focused on playoff teams. Uh, plus, uh, SIDs, remember that all region nominations open this week. So uh, you have some time to get those in. But, you know, I know basketball happens. I know very well that basketball happens. So um, we need to you know, get those things in when you get a, when you get a chance. So, uh, so there's that. And then, of course... Coming up on Friday, I mentioned that uh, Keith and Ryan and I will be doing the triple take predictions where we run down the predicted scores of each game. And then, Keith, on Saturday, we have that magical hour and a half, two hour window where the uh, where the noon games are coming to a close and then the one o'clock games or the noon central games are beginning to get tight and come down to a close where we have just some rapid fire finishes coming. And uh, that's one of the things I look forward to all year. Yeah, it really it really is great. I remember last year, uh, Wesley needed a deep pass to to Kadosu, Steve Kadosu, in the final minute um, to to be, to win at Johns Hopkins, and, we, and then we there was all that consternation about the matchup that Johns Hopkins got. And you know, this year there don't seem to be too many mismatches like that in the first round. Uh, so I, I think we'll see some uh, not mismatches, but but tough tough draws. Uh, I think there's going to be a couple of great finishes. And you will see them all here on d3football.com. We will have video links to every uh, video that's out there. There's no pay-per-view allowed in the playoffs. So if you uh, have been turned off by having to pay $10.95 or $12 to watch not even your favorite team, but a team you might be interested uh, to see them play, you will not have to do so this weekend. Uh, once the NCAA takes over and divvies out the rights, uh, schools are no longer to charge allowed to charge you that money. So you get to watch all that stuff for free. We'll have all the links on our scoreboard. And follow D3Football.com all week. Join the Bracket Challenge. That's out there right now. Uh, you know, uh, compete against your fellow Division Three fans. See who gets the uh, most picks right on the road to Salem. Salem is where Keith and I will be. Well, we got five weeks to get there. So let's have uh, 31 great playoff games, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Around the Nation podcast.